0: Welcome to the Rock Church Audio Podcast. We are so glad that you joined us today. Rock Church is located on Harrison Avenue between Mulford and Perryville Roads in Rockford, Illinois. Now let's join Pastor Jared with today's message. Have to confess that we spent the afternoon yesterday putting lights on the house. Yeah, I uh, I was filled with wisdom from on high. I said to myself, you know what, it is better to do this when it is 45 degrees outside as opposed to when it is 25 degrees outside. And uh, yeah, so then the, the the debate was, do we turn them on now or do we wait? So I think we're going to turn them on a little bit early, you know, just because uh, the world is uh, just in need of things that put a smile on our face, right? <laughs> so, so you are not alone if you've already begun, and as uh, Thanksgiving is upon us, um, you know, let's just turn our attention to how good God has been to us. And uh, it certainly has been uh, a year that we did not anticipate, but it has not changed who God is. His faithfulness is true and consistent in our lives, and we thank Him for that. Well, this morning as we turn to uh, the Word, we want to uh, kind of have you put your finger in two different places. We're going to go back to James chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, which is where we were a couple of weeks ago. But then I'm going to have you turn uh, to the front of your Bible in the Old Testament to 1 Kings chapter 19, and uh, we'll be looking uh, at the content of verses 1 through 18 there. Uh, both of these passages connect to Elijah and his life. Uh, we will read in just a moment the James passage and then we will just refer to the First Kings 1 moving forward uh, just due to the, the length of it and uh, the amount of time that we have remaining. So, As you are turning there, let's just pray and dedicate this time to the Lord, and uh, let's open our ears and our hearts uh, to receive what He wants to speak to us today. And Lord, we do precisely that, Lord. We continue to place our focus and our attention upon You. We thank You for the time of worship and prayer that we have already experienced. And we thank You, Lord, that Your Word... Um, is something, Father, that brings life to us, instruction, it corrects us, it builds us up, it gives us strength. You declared it to be the bread of life. And Lord, I pray that as we look at the life of Elijah today, Lord, may we, we receive life from the truth that it reveals. And may we leave here today filled with hope and encouraged because we have been with you, And we have um, experienced, Lord, you ministering to us in a very personal way. So, Lord, anoint this time and use it for your purposes and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's look at the James chapter 5, uh, verses 17 and 18 together. I'll go ahead and read that. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and it produced its fruit. So this sounds familiar to you because two weeks ago when we were in James chapter 5 we really looked at uh, the verses preceding that which declared that the uh, the fervent prayers of the righteous avail much. And then as an example, uh, James is using the life of, uh, of Elijah to illustrate that to uh, the church. And we are kind of seeing here uh, a kind of a mountaintop experience for Elijah. That uh, there was a moment in time where he prayed and the rain stopped for three and a half years. And then there was this incredible confrontation that took place on Mount Carmel where he confronted the prophets of Baal. And they did their thing and uh, their gods did not respond. And then uh, Elijah prays and the Lord sends fire down from heaven. It consumes the altar. It's a great demonstration of God's power to the nation. And then after that, Elijah prays again and he sees A cloud the size of a fist, and then eventually the rains return to the land. So this is a mountaintop experience. This is what 1 Kings refers to. This is what James is reminding the New Testament church of. And it's kind of one of these accounts from Scripture that that elevates Elijah to kind of superhero status. You know, in the sense of, wow, look at how the Lord used him. (laughs) And we tend to elevate his life, and we elevate... Uh, the way that we perceive him because of uh, the way that God used him. But as we turn forward to 1 Kings chapter 19, we see what transpired after the confrontation on Mount Carmel. And we see what transpired after the rains returned to the land. And we see this uh, individual named Elijah that we oftentimes elevate to superhuman status being a very human hero. And it's a part of the reason why James describes him as ordinary, like you and I, because he dealt with the same issues that you and I do. His life looked very much like our lives. We can identify with him, and 1 Kings chapter 19 gives us a context by which we are going to identify him with him in a great way, in a very common way, a very ordinary way, because after Elijah's greatest victory came one of his darkest valleys. Um, he literally became depressed to the point where he was asking for the Lord to take his life. And the reason for that was the events that transpired after the rains returned. Jezebel threatened to kill him. Elijah flees into the wilderness in 1 Kings 19. He prays that he might die. And then in that place, the Lord sends a a ministering angel that kind of facilitates this dialogue between Elijah and the Lord. And that dialogue is very insightful for us. It is something that provides perspective for life. It's one of the reasons why we can identify with Him because we experience oftentimes many of the things that are coming out of that conversation. That dialogue provides perspective in the sense that it not only is coming out of one of his greatest victories, but within it we see the humanity of those who serve the Lord. It reminds us that people devoted to God are not immune to being human. As Elijah, you would think after Mount Carmel and the return of the rain would, would have a, a, a ticker tape parade. This would be a great celebration. It might be a moment of, of, of national awakening and revival, but we see the exact opposite. Elijah becomes depressed and ends up in one of his deepest valleys. He in essence is saying to himself, I believe I've had enough. You had an idea of what would transpire after the victory. The exact opposite begins to take place, and the response of Elijah is, I've had enough. I've had enough, Lord. But yet, he is one of the heroes of our faith. We should find great hope in, in, in that today. And Elijah is not alone in these types of challenges. We oftentimes don't think on it, but many of the other heroes of our faith experienced the same types of responses. Jonah, after seeing revival in Nineveh, you remember the story of Jonah? The Lord says to him, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah basically says, I'm going to go every direction except the direction that leads to Nineveh. And he ends up in a boat and he's thrown in the water and he's consumed by the fish and then the fish spits him out onto the beach and he goes to Nineveh, which was a wicked kingdom, a Gentile kingdom. Jonah preaches uh, one of the shortest sermons within the scripture and guess what? The whole city repents. And after that transpires in chapter 4, Jonah says, Therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then the Lord said to him, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah experiences much of what we see Elijah experiencing. Elijah's not alone. Even the Apostle Paul had a similar response. We see it in Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. When he writes to the church, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we even despaired of life. See, we tend to elevate the heroes of our faith to superhuman status. But when we look at the totality of their life and all that the Scripture reveals about them, we begin to clearly see that they were very human heroes. And this raises a very sensitive issue within the church. Something that we don't like to acknowledge or even talk about perhaps. The Scriptures fully recognize the frail side of our humanity, which in the contemporary church today is often seen as something that competes with our faith, and it is often contrived in such a manner that we are told that if we have strong faith, we can will these things away. And that perception creates a culture within the modern day church where instead of being honest, we keep secrets. Because if I share honestly where I am at, if I share honestly the struggles that I am going through, if I share honestly the thoughts that are occupying my mind and the things that are corrupting my heart, I will be seen as someone who is lacking in faith and as someone who is not following Jesus very well. And because of that, oftentimes our churches become an unsafe place to work things out. And let... I want you to know my position on that very clearly. That's flat out wrong. You know the church should be a place of healing and restoration and the working out of our salvation that is marked by a progression and a maturity that comes upon us as we follow the Lord. But when we don't deal with things honestly, we hit the pause button in our lives And things go unresolved. And as we look at the life of Elijah, we see someone who looks an awful lot like us. But we see a Lord that responds to His people not only when they're on a mountaintop, but also when they're in a valley. And there's a couple of takeaways that I I see within this dialogue that happens in 1 Kings 19 that that move my heart to say, may these things be a part of the culture here at Rock Church. There are things I pray will become normal here as we are a, a, a family of faith living out life together. The first one is this. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that teaches people how to fight for their wholeness. How to fight for their wholeness. You know, not accepting the valley and whatever your valley is. For Elijah, it was depression. For some of you, it might be anger. Anger. For some of you, it it, it could be some other thing. You fill in the blank. And and there should be a part of us that rises up and says, this is unacceptable. It should not be a part of my life. I know that Jesus has better for me. And because of that, I'm going to fight for my wholeness. And I'm going to stand with my brothers and sisters as they help me fight for my wholeness. That should be our culture. then this moment in Elijah's life also stimulates a prayer within me for us as a body that says, I want us to understand that God does not give up on us as easily as we sometimes give up on Him. Because that's where Elijah was. He kind of thought that, you know, The Lord wasn't being fair in this moment and this picture that he had in his mind was not coming to reality and he took that as a mark of God's lack of favor or maybe lack of blessing or maybe lack of endorsement. And you know what I want you to understand today and I want you to remind yourself during the storms of your life that God does not give up on us As easily as we sometimes give up on Him. So here's our response If we are going to be a people who fight for the wholeness of ourselves and each other, we must recognize what we are fighting against. You know, one of the sure ways to be defeated is to not understand your adversary. And we we see exposed here in 1 Kings chapter 19, some of the tactics of our adversary. It's, it, 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 it's, a, it's a, an empowering thing. And we see how Elijah is responding to the tactics of the adversary because... I just kinda step back and as I look at what is going on in Elijah's life here, I I see that Elijah is telling himself a story. There's a dialogue going on within him internally and and he's beginning to believe things that are not true. He's beginning to interpret the the events that are transpiring around him inaccurately because he's believing things that he is speaking to himself. and of this story. Is that Elijah. Was believing his own interpretation to the degree. That he was becoming afraid. Fear was beginning to creep in. We see this in verse 3. It says Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Okay we. Um, we don't. We, we, we don't take a step until we've convinced ourselves that that step is the right step to take. So that's the reason why I believe Elijah is telling himself a story. He's beginning to have an internal dialogue that he's believing to the degree that his heart became afraid and he began to run. Now, I believe he's saying things to himself like, well, you know, God came through once, but I'm not sure if he'll come through again. What about tomorrow, God? I think he's saying things to himself like, I've seen you defeat Baal, but have you seen Jezebel? And you know what, Lord? She wants to take my life. He's believing these these arguments that he should have cast down and they are motivating his response of fear and running away. And it reminds us that the reality in Elijah's life and in our lives is that Baal couldn't take out Elijah, but Elijah could take out himself by what he chose to believe. So we see fear as one of these tactics of the enemy that is consistent with Elijah, it's consistent with us. It's one of the first things that our enemy wants us to believe because of its power to overtake us. But then we also see the tactic of comparison. Elijah began to compare himself to others. In verse 4 he says, I am no better than my fathers. I am no better than my fathers. He's just seen one of the greatest events in all of the scripture. He literally saw fire come down from heaven and consume the altar. He saw the the false gods of the land clearly and decisively defeated. He saw God bring rain back to a land that had been in drought for three and a half years. And as he begins to compare himself in response to Jezebel's desire to take his life, he says, I am no better than my father's. And it makes me wonder, where did Elijah get the idea That he had to be better. I mean, many of the saints that he's comparing himself to had not seen things to the significance of what he just saw with his own eyes. But yet, as he began to sink into despair, as he began to sink into the depths of depression, as he began to to, 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 to not have the desire to live anymore... He began to convince himself that in order to be used by God, he had to be the best, he had to be the brightest, he had to be without failure, he had to be without flaw. And the comparison game jump-started his downward spiral. And you know it'll, it'll do the same for you. If you are living your life In comparison to others you are not fully appreciating who God has made you to be because just like Elijah the Lord doesn't want you to be anybody else but he wants you to be you and who he created you to be so I want to ask us all a question What story have you been telling yourself? Throughout the year of 2020, what story have you been telling yourself? What have been the thoughts that have occupied your mind, that have been consuming your thoughts? What are the things that you have been believing eternally? What story have you been telling yourself? And as you, as you, reconcile the answer to that question, I want you to ask yourself the question, has that story been true or has it been a trap? You see, for Elijah, it was a trap that led to depression and despair. A trap that was rooted in fear and in comparison And if your own internal thoughts have been a trap and not rooted in the truth, it's time to choose another path. Here's a couple of ways that we uh, we can start to move in a new direction. If you need to change direction, here's how you start. Run the race that has been marked out for you. Romans, or rather, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Run the race that has been marked out for you. You know, this deals with the, the comparison issue. You know, we are all running towards the same finish line with the same goal and the same high prize that is only found in Christ Jesus, but you run the race that's been marked out for you and don't try to run somebody else's race. You know, I, I, was, um, I was a runner in my junior high and high school years, all right? But not the kind of races that Anthony has run. Because um, those are races that are defined by and measured by miles. The longest race I ever ran was 200 meters. <laughs> All right, I was on the other end of the spectrum. But regardless of the length of the race that you're running, there are some principles that remain true. And one of them is, you will always run a better race if you're focused on the finish line. Because there's this temptation that takes place in the middle of a race, especially if it's a close race like a sprint, where you might be running and you might hear the footsteps of, the comp- competitor behind you, you might be in a, in a very close race where you are side by side. And if you begin to look to the right or to the left to see uh, how, how close they are, how strong they seem to be, if it uh, looks like they might overtake you, you are not going to run your best race. In fact, you will slow yourself down. Why? Why? Because your objective is finishing and finishing strong, not how the people around you are going to run or finish their race. So as we consider this for our own personal lives, and as we kind of look at our journey and say, you know what, there's some adjustments that I need to make, and, and, and there's, a, there's a certain path that I feel the Lord redirecting my life on, one of the ways that we Remain on that path as we run the race that has been marked out for you. But then on top of that, you, you also need to stop listening to yourself and you need to start talking to yourself. You can write down Psalm 42 because we see this process in the life of the psalmist. You know what? Some of us listen to ourselves way too much and we need to start talking to ourselves. And here's what I mean by that. If this sermon is the only sermon that you're getting for the week, you're not helping yourself. You should develop the practice of preaching to yourself throughout the week and in every moment where, when you need to stop listening and you need to start talking. This is exactly what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 42. He says to his soul, Why so downcast, O my soul? And then he goes on to preach to himself, Hope in God. Hope in God. This is something that must become a part of our our regular response to this life. We can't do all the talking. Lord, we can't do all the listening, but we must do more talking. I found myself having to do that this week. Uh, The back half of this week um, had um, an undue amount of bad news. Just things going on in people's lives, both in our congregation and throughout the community. And, you know, the, the, the weight of those things, it wanted to kind of hold me down and weigh me down. And I, I kind of felt it creeping in. And I had to start preaching to myself and stop listening to myself. And one of the things that I preached to myself was John 16, 33. The words of Jesus. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Preach to yourself. You know, and sometimes preaching to yourself looks an awful lot like singing to yourself too. Let me remind you of of one of the Choruses that we sing in worship today because it accomplishes the same goal. My hope and trust is in the name of the Lord who is faithful. So, you know what? As you come to a fork in the road and you got a a choice to go down one path or to to stay on the path of the Lord's choosing, you know, stop listening to yourself, start talking talking to yourself a whole lot more. And you know what, bust out in song when you need to. Because when we don't do that, there are things that transpire in our lives that are destructive. One is, we begin to isolate. Verse 3 of 1 Kings 19 says, he went to Beersheba and left his servant there. So as Elijah is running, he comes to Beersheba and he says to his faithful and trusted servant, the the young man that he shared every aspect of his life with, he said, you... Stay here, and I'm going to carry on and go to Mount Horeb. He isolated himself. He was alone. And in essence, Elijah told himself, I'm not letting anyone close to me. You see, that's what running looks like. When we run in our own direction, it invites other things to overtake our lives. And eventually, it isolates us and it disconnects us from the life-giving things that the Lord has put around us. Whether it be a body of believers, an individual who is a trusted friend, fear and comparison will always endeavor to isolate you. And when that happens, we run and we are not led. Cuz at the beginning of Elijah's life, he was led into the wilderness for solitude and strengthening, and now he runs into the wilderness as a way to separate himself from others and from God. And that's one of the ways that we can determine which path we are on. Am I being led? or am i running so again this question pops up how do we change direction well we have to change our view of god because you know there was a there was a, a, an aspect of elijah not seeing god clearly or correctly thought that God had abandoned him. He thought that God was not approving of his life because now there was this response of Jezebel to take him out and another fight to be had. And Elijah said, surely if I would have done what the Lord wanted and if I were to be walking the path of His choosing, we would be seeing a revival now and not another battle. So we have to change how we view god and a part of the change that we must understand is this our god is the same god who demonstrated his power on the mountaintop and demonstrated his provision in the valley See, Elijah's on Mount Carmel, this incredible victory, the power of God manifest. But now that Elijah finds himself in a completely different place, weighed down, depressed, and despairing for life itself, it's the same God who meets him in that place and provides. One assignment needed a demonstration of power. This assignment needs a demonstration of provision. And as God provided for Elijah, He provided for the whole of who he was. Because let's be honest, when we oftentimes think about the things that Elijah was dealing with, we tend to only think of them from a spiritual perspective. We're talking about things like depression and despair, other emotional challenges that we go through, The Lord didn't just meet him spiritually, he met him physically also. Because sometimes those things are rooted in physical deficits. And that is a conversation that has been lacking from the church. You have been called to take care of your physical being, because in doing so, we find wholeness. So in order to do that for Elijah, God sent an angel of rest, and he sent that angel twice. That angel's assignment was to care for Elijah. Uh, That angel ministered to his physical need by providing food and water so that Elijah could rest and gain strength. You know, one of the traps that we fall to in our Western culture is, well, I need to just keep going. I just need to keep doing. I need to just carry on. And, and I know if, if, if I just press through, if I just push harder, we'll get, get through to the other side. And there may be some of you here in the room or maybe even at home who need to address some of the challenges that you are experiencing by not only Praying to God, but also taking a good nap. Might I remind you that on the seventh day, God did what? He rested. rested. So God wants us to take care of ourselves physically, and He did that for Elijah, but He also took care of him psychologically. Because there's two conversations that the Lord has with Elijah. And they all started with a question. What are you doing here, Elijah? The Lord answered those, the Lord asked that question, uh, not for his own benefit, but for Elijah's. The Lord knew where Elijah was, and he knew why he was there. So it wasn't like the Lord was misinformed or uneducated on what was going on. But he asked the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? And the purpose for that question was to get things out into the open. The purpose of that question was Elijah's response. Because the response was going to reveal what was going on in his heart and in his mind. And you know what the Lord still asks that question to us today? What are you doing here? Think about it for a moment. When we choose to go our own way, we end up at a destination outside of God's perfect will for us. And the Lord knows where we are. He knows how we got there. He knows the struggles that that motivated us to go in that direction. And as He comes alongside of us, and as He begins to minister to us, He oftentimes begins that process by asking us the question, Why are you here? Why are you here? This is not what I have for you. Depression's destiny is not what I have for you. Hopelessness is not what I have for you. Endeavoring in your own strength is not what I have for you. Giving up on life is not what I have for you. Why are you here? Why are you here? The Lord knew the answer. But He asked the question to expose the lies so that Elijah could see them. Sometimes we can become so familiar with things that we don't see them clearly. And we have to gain another perspective to truly see what is going on. And the Lord is kind of taking the conversation from the confines of Elijah's mind to out in the open. Because there's now a dialogue happening. And in both instances, Elijah's response was a mixture of truth and error. He responded the same way both times. Lord, I've been zealous for you. True. That's true. Lord, the Israelites have rejected you. That's true. Lord, they've killed your prophets. That's true. I'm the only one left. That's false. The Lord asks us questions to pull things out into the open so that we can see them clearly and so that He can address the errors that we have been believing. Because the Lord responds by giving Elijah a clearer picture of what's going on in Israel. He says, You know what, Elijah? I have. I have set aside <laughs> 7,000 faithful people that you don't know about. You are not alone. He took care of him psychologically. But then he took care of him spiritually. And then he gave Elijah his word. And that word was sent to address his lapse of faith. Because Elijah had had the wrong view. And that wrong view had let him down. And in essence, the word that God gives Elijah is a word that says, you know what? Here's what you need to fight for your wholeness. And it's interesting to me a part of what that conversation reminded Elijah of. Because in essence, he was telling him, get back to your assignment. You know, things hadn't gone the way that Elijah had expected. Elijah ran in the direction of his own choosing. In spite of it, the Lord still provided and protected him. And as the conversation went from exposing the errors that he was believing, he began to remind him of the race he had been called to run. Elijah, get back to your assignment. As We see in verses 15 and 16 the Lord gave him three new assignments. And those assignments were go anoint, go anoint, go anoint. And a part of That the assignment and the purpose behind that was to put into place the things that were going to be needed for the next generation. Because literally after this wilderness experience, he goes and he anoints Elisha. Who would carry on the mantle. Who would carry on the work. who, who, Who would be the voice of God for the next generation. Elijah. Go fulfill your assignment and anoint. That's significant because I want us to understand that the faithfulness of this generation is the foundation of the next. And here the Lord is refocusing Elijah. Why? Because the work of our flesh and the God of this age always wants to manipulate and marginalize. And that is where Elijah found himself. He found himself in a a place of despair where he had marginalized himself and the call of God upon his life had been manipulated into something Other than what God had. And the Lord tells him, get back to your assignment. I've now provided for you physically, psychologically, and spiritually. Now it's time to rise up and to go. And that call is not unique to Elijah. 1 Corinthians 15.58 Therefore, my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that your labor knowing that your labor in the lord is not in vain press on carry on You know, that assignment to marginalize and to manipulate is very present and active in our day. And we need to see it for what it is. The God of this age wants to see the church on the sideline. Peace and safety have been elevated higher higher than assignment and calling and our faithfulness to the call of god in this moment is going to be the shoulders and the foundation that the next generation stands upon so i ask you the question what is your assignment what is your assignment So we don't have an Elijah kind of moment in our lives where we have that encounter with the Lord that provides and fills us and reminds us of what we are here to do, we will isolate and be marginalized. So how do you need to get back in the fight? How do you need to get back in the fight? Don't let the year 2020 take you out of the game. But rather, let the high calling of the Lord establish a clear path for you. And as we consider that, we'll close on that note. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to just end with uh, kind of a moment of soul searching. So would you just kind of bow your heads, close your eyes. And ask the Lord for a clear picture of where you are. (laughs) And as you see that, you know, the Lord might be asking you the question today, why are you here? Why are you here? let the response of your heart be this Lord I don't want to run but I want to be led (laughs) so invite invite the Lord to lead you you know invite him to kind of pluck from your life things that may have established themselves like fear and comparison and whatever trap there may have been replace it with the truth Ask God to help you walk in that truth. in relation to our assignment and calling in life, oftentimes we we view that in the view of what God has done. But I want you right now to ask the Lord what He wants you to do now. What is your assignment? In this hour, Not just looking back to the past and past assignments, but saying, Lord, what is my assignment today now? Lord, I just pray that you would speak. To us both here and those who are at home. I pray that that conversation, Lord, would carry forward into the week ahead. I pray for ears to hear what your spirit is saying. And Lord, as you confront things within our lives, may we be quick to turn from them, and to abandon them. Lord, I pray that there would be victory over fear and comparison and every other trap, Lord, that we may have fallen into. Lord, I pray that as we leave here today, Lord, may we preach to ourselves more than we listen to ourselves. I pray you would help us, Lord God, to get back to our assignment. And I thank you that as you meet us in this place, you are the one who provides physically, psychologically, and spiritually all that we need. So Lord, I pray that as we empty ourselves, that you would fill us with all that is you. I pray that blessing, Lord, over all my brothers, all my sisters today. And Lord, as we go, I pray we go in your grace and your peace. I pray you'd watch over us and keep us. And I pray you'd return us back to this place very soon and safely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in the grace of God. Encourage one another as you leave. Have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you for joining us on our podcast today. We hope this has been a blessing in your life and we look forward to having you joining us in person for a service soon. Our service times are Thursday nights at seven o'clock and two services on Sunday morning at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. God bless you.